The following sermon is by Manny Alaniz, pastor at St. Stephen's Chapel in Northwest San Antonio, Texas. For more information, for prayer, or to support us financially, please visit our website at ststephenschapel.org or call us at 210-241-5969. Do you believe that the devil exists? Do you believe that the devil exists? It's interesting, uh, a Barnum survey was taken asking that very question and, and a couple of other questions, but they asked that very question. That survey asked questions about God and Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the devil, and the devil and his minion, his demons. They surveyed 1,871 self-described Christians, self-described Christians, and they were asked about their perception of God. That was the first question, and about 78% of them said that God was real and God was the all-powerful, all-knowing creator of the universe who rules the world today. The remaining number, about a quarter of them, shows other descriptions about God, which are bizarre. Uh, there was, they talk about, uh, the, the, they depicted God as, as uh, not, the, the depictions were not consistent with biblical teachings for sure. For example, Every, uh, there were some that believed that God, that everyone was God. There were others who referred to uh, God as the, the realization of a human being. So they had some bizarre uh, understanding of God, certainly not biblical understanding. And uh, however, 59% of these self-described Christians believed that Satan was not real. Satan was not a living being, but just a symbol of evil. That was about 60% of these self-described, proclaimed Christians. The minority of these, of these self-described Christians, about 35% indicated that they believed the devil was real, and the remainder just didn't know whether the devil was real or not. So here's the question. For you personally, do you believe that the devil is real? Do you believe that the devil, Satan, is real? That he does exist? If you do not, do not believe that the devil is real, you're already a defeated foe. The Satan, the devil has you right where he wants you. You don't believe he's real. He has you. He's already got you. My friends, according to the Bible, the divinely inspired word of God states that the devil is real and he does exist. But even more than that, it states that sin is real, that sin actually exists. But here's the good news. The good news is that the sun came to deal with the problem 
of sin and to bind the devil. He does this all for the glory of the Father and the salvation of everyone who believes in him. Today is the fifth Sunday of Lent. And as we're going as we're going through the Lent period, we're looking at different aspects of being a Christian. And today we're going to look at the ministry, the ministry of the Son of God, the Son of God incarnate, meaning in the flesh. And we begin by looking at the problem of sin, the problem of sin. Sin is so devastating to the crown jewel of God's creation, that would be humanity. Humanity is the crown jewel of creation, despite what you might have heard by others. It is so devastating that God himself had to come down from heaven to handle the problem of sin. Sin not only kills our physical body, it kills our eternal body as well, eternal soul. I mean, it kills our eternal soul as well. Scripture reveals sin in different dimensions. It has more than one description of what sin is uh, in the New and Old Testament. Uh, here are three um, descriptions of sin found in the Old Testament. Avid, or avid, means inequity in Hebrew. And it, it describes sin as being twisted, being bent out of shape, like a bone being out of, a, out of its socket. And it causes great pain and damage, great pain and damage, because our hearts are not centered on God. One description of sin. Another description is, uh, is uh, called chatois, which basically means Missing the mark. We're missing the mark. Sin is missing the mark. Uh, it is, it's described as failing to live, failing to live the way that God wants us to live. We either uh, commit sins of omission, meaning we don't do the things we're supposed to do, or we commit sins of commission. We commit sins against God. We miss the mark. We fall short of the glory of God. The third description of sin is, is described as pasha, transgression. Transgression is the willful rebellion against God who we are to have an allegiance to. The willful rebellion against God. These are just some descriptions of sin. Now, the Westminster uh, Catechism Define sin as being disobedient to God's law, a want of conformity unto a transgression of any law of God given as a rule to a reasonable creature. In other words, sin is a cosmic crime against an eternal God by an, a finite creature. We are the finite creatures. We were born. So we, we're not eternal. We're eternal by, because we're going to live forever, but we're finite because at one point we were born. And to commit a sin against an infinite God is a cosmic crime. And the wages 
of that crime is death. Death. Ah, but, but we'll see what the Bible reveals to us. What it tells us is, is the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord, Romans 6, 20, 23. So let's take a look at what's going on. Let's take a look at the uh, at our passage and, and start with the temptation of Satan or the temptation of the devil. How did this all come about? How did, how did this start? How did sin come about? Well, it all started with the adversary. The adversary is Satan. He is the devil, the diabolos, the tempter who deceived Adam and Eve to sin against God. We all know the story, the fall of humanity, this, this, the deception uh, of Satan to convince Adam and Eve to sin against God. Now, again, the reality is that the devil does exist. The devil is, a, is, a, is a, the tempter. The, temper, the tempter, the devil does exist. He is real. The devil's objective is to get us to ignore or to utterly cast away both God's word and the work of Jesus Christ, our Lord. If the devil can do that, he has accomplished what he wants to do, destroying humanity, destroying God's crime jewel. Today, uh, we are not, uh, as we look at our passage, one of the interesting things is that we are not given a physical description of the devil, of the tempter. It doesn't describe him. It talks about him, but it's not describing him. And so what this means, as far as the passage goes, and even in other parts of Scripture, it means that the devil operates mainly through words, through suggestions, through arguments. Uh, he introduces thoughts. He introduces ideas. He introduces possibilities into our minds. Now, when I say the devil... It could be the devil or his minion, the evil spirits. But that's how they operate, and that's how our passage indicates that it operate that, that he operates. Again, he operates through suggestions, through arguments, through ideas, through thoughts of possibilities, things like that. The focus of all three temptations in our passage are given in words or thoughts words or thoughts. How many times has that happened to you? I mean, we can relate to this. How many times has the tempter whispered a deception into your ear, a lie, a fib? And how many times has that grown and exploded in your mind, how many times has it started out as a molehill and exploded into a mountain, causing divorce, causing disruption in your life? It happens all the time. It happens all the time. And the whispers are always there. They're always there. That the tempter, the devil, can tell us a lie or twist the truth. And then in through our exaggerations, it becomes what we believe to be real, to be a truth, to be true. 
He makes alive truth. This brings us to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The Son came to bind the devil and his minion and to deal with the problem of sin. Sin, the terminal condition that has infected everyone, has infected every single one of us. As we look at our text, we are told that the Spirit of God leads our Savior into the wilderness. Now, what I want you to notice right there, it is that it that it is not the Spirit that is tempting Jesus. It is the Spirit that leads Christ into the wilderness. It's the, the tempter. It's the devil who does the temptation, who does the lying. And we should also understand that God, the Holy Spirit, can lead us into a, a wilderness, a wilderness of despair. Can and has. God can do that but he could also lead us out of that wilderness into a time of prosperity. But he is not the one who commits the sin. He is not the one who lies. He is not the tempter. That is the devil. Next, when we're looking at our passage, we notice that Jesus fasted for 40 days. Why did he fast? Why did Jesus fast for 40 days? We're not told why he's doing that. Now, there's speculation, and there's other, but there's other verses in the Bible that talk about a 40-day fast. But Moses, Moses was one. But here, what's interesting about Christ in the New Testament, about Jesus in the New Testament, is that he is referred to as the second Adam. The second Adam. The first Adam, prior to the fall, had a place in paradise. God placed him in paradise where he had an abundance, an abundance of everything, an abundance to eat, and to eat his fill of everything in paradise. Further, all the animals in paradise were subject to Adam, the first Adam. Now here we have the second Adam, Jesus. Where is he placed? He's not placed in the garden. He's placed in the wilderness. This is the battle zone. This is the territory of Satan. Satan occupies this wilderness. And, God, and our Lord is placed there. He's not placed in a place where there's abundance. There is a lack of abundance in the wilderness, in the desert, so to speak. Jesus shows his humanity by fasting. Fasting. And he gets to a point of being inconceivably weak. Now, understand how he's feeling as a human, okay? As a human, fasting for 40 days would mean he was extremely at a point of weakness, very weak. And, because, and remember, he's human. And he's put, he puts himself in that position so that he can overcome, as a human would, a weak human, could overcome the evil one. Further, it's interesting how the Gospel of Mark talks about him, uh, Christ being in the wilderness, and there it says that he was surrounded by wild animals, as opposed to the first Adam who was surrounded by animals that were subject to him. Here, Christ is surrounded by wild animals, vicious animals. We must remember that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the second person of the Holy Trinity. 
a trinity, incarnate, meaning in the flesh. Jesus is 100% God. He is also 100% human, like us. He's 100% human except for sin. He has two natures in one person. Now we've heard about that. Now let's, but here we're going to get into it. Gets into depth. This is why what's going on? Because Jesus, when Jesus walked this earth, he laid his divinity aside so that he could be human and fulfill all the righteousness, all the righteous demands that God the Father had placed on humanity had placed on the first Adam. This means that when he was in a, in a situation of need, he would not use his divine powers. Are we together on that? He laid his divinity aside. He didn't lose. He's like still God, but now he's acting. He's in the role of being 100% human. And so he's laid his divine powers. And in a time of need, he doesn't use them. He's not to use them. Because, look, do you have divine powers? I mean, could you create, you know, bread out of stone? No, he couldn't do that. We have to depend on who to feed us, God, the Father. So here we have Jesus in that state of being. But, but uh, in, in, in trying to live out his entire life as a true human, if, if, if we go through a situation like this, we, we do what humans do. What do we do? We, do? we pray, we fast, we call out to God, we depend on his word. Those are the things we're called to do. Those are the things that Jesus does. So as we look at the first temptation, verse 3, we need to look at what, what is going on. Now, a better way to read this or to understand this, this, this verse is, is this way. Let me read it a little different. It says, the, the, the deceiver, the tempter says this, Since you are the Son of God, tell the stones to be to tell the stones to become loaves of bread. Since you are the Son of God, tell the stones to become loaves of bread. Now, the tempter knows that Jesus is starving. He's starving to, uh, to death. He doesn't die, but he is starving. So he's telling them, hey, since you're the Son of God, use your divine powers. Use your divine powers. Now, Satan is trying to stir up doubt. What doubt is Satan trying to stir up? Well, he's trying to stir up Jesus' trust in the Father. Trusting in the Father, having doubt, having doubt. You haven't ate, you haven't eaten anything in 40 days. Where's God? Where's the Father? Who's supposed to be taking care of you? And you say you trust them. That's what's going on. We see that the evil, the, the devil, doesn't want Jesus to trust the Father in providing and caring for him as a human would. The devil wants, is tempting Jesus to use his sonship, his divi divinity, to create loaves, to create a bakery, so to speak, of loaves out of those stones. That in itself would undo everything that Jesus is trying to accomplish. 
as he lives this life as a human. Just doing that one thing would have, would have diminished everything, would, would have stopped everything, would have undid everything that he was trying to do. And you think that, that, that Satan or the devil is not smarter than us. He is smarter than us. He knows your habits. He knows our weaknesses. He knows the things that will tempt us the most and uses them against us. Does he know? He can't read our mind. He knows habits. He knows behavior. He knows the things that you say. The places you go to on the internet, the people you talk to and how you talk to them. Just little things that he can turn against you and use them against you. Then he starts putting doubt. He uses the instrument of doubt. Going through a very difficult time. And things are hard, like, like really hard, not just regular hard. They're tough. Like, I don't know what to do next. Doubt. Doubt. Doubt that the Lord loves you. Doubt that he's going to care for you. That's how Satan wants. He wants you to fall. But God can use that to test us. Let's just do another trial of trusting him. God uses Satan. And here Jesus is being tested. Tested. What does Jesus do? Jesus will not have none of it. He rebukes the devil with the words of God. He says, it stands written. It's a, it's a, it's a powerful way of, of the way he says it. It, like it stands written. It cannot be shaken. Man, humanity, man or woman shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Deuteronomy 8.3. Here we see Jesus taking up the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit spoken about in Holy Scripture. The sword that we have access to as well. We have access to the sword of the Holy Spirit. God's Word. And that's what Jesus uses. The sword of the Spirit to fend off the attack of the wicked one. So next we look at the second temptation. The devil that takes Jesus to the holy city. He takes him to the holy city and he places him at the very top of the temple. Now there are locations, now we have a location change. How it's done, we're not told. But he's at the pinnacle, the very top of the temple. And there he tells Jesus, he says this, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it stands written. He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone or a stone. Uh, that's, uh, that's Psalm 91. Now this temptation is full of holy things. The holy temple. You know, the holy angels, he's quoted scripture. And this time he doesn't, he, he doesn't uh, distort it. He quotes scripture. 
So he's using holy things now for this temptation. Has that ever happened to you where holy things are, are tempting you to commit a sin? If a holy thing, a truly holy thing from God is, to, is tempting you to sin, then it's off from God. You should reject it. But here he's using, he's using scripture. He's using holy things to tempt God. He's trying to use Jesus' faith in God's word to tempt him. I like what the, the theologian John uh, Frayne says about this temptation. Here's what he writes about this temptation. He says that if the evil one cannot make us carnal, perhaps he can make us fanatics. If he cannot make us uh, super secular by seeking wonder bread, perhaps he can make us super spiritual by suggesting that we take a leap of faith. Isn't that what he's doing? Like, can you imagine him telling you to get on top of the, one of the tall, what's with the uh, tower over here in San Antonio and say, hey, man, if, you know, God loves you and you believe, you believe he loves you. To take this leap of faith, he'll catch you. You'll be, you'll be okay. So he quotes scripture to you, and he, and and, and say, so well, he's trying to be fanatical. He's trying to use scripture. You're telling, you're telling, and then you tell everybody, hey, I'm fanatical. Everything Jesus says is real. God's word is true. That's true. Unless you're fanatical, like you go over or you're extreme, uh, and, and you're not, and you're not, your your discipline of understanding scripture is off which happens all the time. Here, he's again, he's wanting us to, 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 or Jesus, to take a leap of faith. We see some people that are religious fanatics. They go to the extreme right or to the extreme left. Satan pushes them to commit sin in their extreme. And if they don't, he accuses them of not being truly a Christian. Because they don't believe scripture. You don't believe scripture. That's what scripture says. Jesus rebukes the devil again. He does it through true biblical criticism. Jesus' source of biblical criticism is scripture. Scripture supports scripture. And so Jesus says, again, it stands written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When call when they asked Jesus what the greatest commandments, what's the greatest commandment of them all? And what does Jesus say? The greatest commandment of them all. But it's to love God. Love God. All your heart, mind, soul, and with all your strength. The second Christ comes in and says, it's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two greatest commandments. Now you got all these other commandments. You all got all the other words of God, and those are the two. Those are the two. So by leaping off this tall building, how will that honor God? And how would it benefit anybody else? It wouldn't. It wouldn't honor God, and it wouldn't benefit anybody else. So you know that you wouldn't do it. You wouldn't put it to the test. So now that we go to the third temptation. What we notice in this temptation is that the devil continues to, to lead Jesus up higher and higher. This time he takes him uh, from the wilderness to the temple and then to the high, the highest or a high mountain. 
There the tempter shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Then, and then the devil tells Jesus this. He says, all these I will give you if you will fall and worship me. He's saying to him, give these kingdoms to you and their glory. Now remember what Jesus says to his disciples. He tells them that the prince of this world was coming. Who is the prince of this world? Devil. The adversary. The wicked one. Because this is the fallen world. So now, in that, in, in, in looking at it from that standpoint, and he's showing them all these cities of this fallen, broken world. You can imagine the wickedness in the cities. Yeah, he, 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 this is his domain, right? So now he's saying, I'll give it to you. See, and then the other thing, interesting thing about this, about what he's saying here is that the, the heiress, uh, in this uh, in in this verse, is basically saying that this is a one time act. If you just bow down right now and worship me, I'll give it to you. Telling Christ that it's a one time worship, according to the Greek, it, it, it is a one time worshiping me. Will give you the world. That brings an immediate response. From Christ saying, Be gone, Satan, for it stands written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. The devil offers Jesus the world. Has the devil offered you the world? To the world. Hey, are you going to worship me? Do whatever you want. The devil offers Jesus the world in exchange for his soul and gets rebuked. Brings a fierce anger from our Lord. The devil has no power over Christ. He has no power over us, those of us who belong to Christ. That doesn't mean he's going to give up. That doesn't mean he's going to stop. In fact, he may try even harder. He tries even harder to get us condemned. And he attacks. And he attacks. So when we look at this passage... What do we need to hear? What do we need to know? We need to hear, we need to know that God loves us. That he loves us so much, like it says, that he gave us his son. And his son came down from heaven to deal with the problem, this, this infection that we have that's killing us physically and, and, and eternally. He came to deal with the problem of sin and to bind Satan and his minion. And he's doing it all for the glory of the Father. And for everyone who believes in him, let us pray. Oh, gracious. You've been listening to Manny Alanese, pastor at St. Stephen's Chapel. For more information about our church, visit our website at stephenschapel.org or call us at 210-241-5969. Please join us prayerfully and financially as we seek to glorify God by preaching His Word and spreading the gospel of grace in boldness and selflessness.